To a special edition of the Royal Alliance UK podcast. I'm Matthew Turner alongside Stephen Collins. And what's better than this? Sorry, Carl. But a draft dude is on the show. Carl Krabs, host of Locked On NFL Scouting and Locked On Dolphin, uh, Dolphins, formerly uh, but founded the Draft Network and uh, NDT Scouting, which predates me, Carl. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I know, Matt, we, we've kind of been playing the tag game a little bit, or you've been playing the tag game with me. So I'm here to make do and uh, excited to talk some Lions football with you guys. And uh, uh, the UK fan base, uh, I, I love seeing football gain so much traction elsewhere and have so many avid fans and, and heading overseas for a game is definitely on my to-do list and rub elbows with you guys uh, soon before long, hopefully. Hopefully, I mean, maybe one day the lines will come back. It's been almost a decade, and we're due, we're due our time. So, anyway, to start with, I just wanted to talk about you, Carl, actually, to begin mm-hmm. with, because I think how you've kind of come into this is really interesting. Before maybe talking a bit about the lions, and then moving on to the draft, as sure. obviously you know that's that's what you do. So, you did your bachelor's in kinesiology and exercise science at Penn State. So, you know, Big Ten football quite well. Did you always yeah. know that you wanted to kind of transition from that into? into football stuff because it didn't take you long to start NDT. No. Um, so I didn't get a chance to play in college. I got hurt. Um, my senior year of high school, I was going to try to walk on it like a division two school. I wasn't any good, but um, that was kind of the, the morning process of that is, is like, well, I know I'm not done with the game, but how can I make the game fit within the confines of going to college and getting an education and, I had met somebody who has since gone on to have a very successful career. And and he, at the time, uh, had gotten hired by an NFC North team, ironically enough, as an area scout. And he had said, hey, man, you've you got a pretty good foundation here in your education. Kind of gives you a unique way to see players and, and watch how players move. And um, you should try to create a portfolio and, and go for it. And, and that's really what I did was was trying to, in the free time that I had amidst my education and and an original nine to five when I first got out of college, uh, all of my free time was dived into trying to create a portfolio to create a platform to uh, the original goal was to be hired by a team. And all of my opportunities kind of came on the media side of things. So once you embrace that and lean into that, it's it's taken me on quite the journey over the last, I guess, so almost 10 years now. Yeah, that's crazy to, to think. I know I hear you and Joe always say that you're in your dream job and that's just that, that's peak life. I, I can't imagine mm-hmm. feeling like that. I hope my existing colleagues are not listening to me say that. Hey. Um, <laughs> sure, um, sure. We're, we're in our dream job, Matt, at Royal Alliance. Yes, yes. This definitely pays enough for my for my work, <laughs> um, for my life. Um, so talk to me about the start, because I, I knew you through the Draft Network, as I, I suspect mm-hmm. a lot of people do, did. Um, coincidentally, NDT and TDN, ending and starting at the same time. I'm not actually aware of how that process started. So talk to me about NDT and then the transition into TDN. It, was that just kind of like an evolution of the of the business? Did it kind of get taken on by some other people or like? Yeah. Um, when I started on my own, it was really you know, just like anybody else trying to 
create a platform and I had a blog spot website, something small. And uh, through networking and going to events, uh, the, the first kind of business venture that we had there was consulting with agents about low-end draft prospects and potential UDFAs that they were interested in representing and, and wanted a set of eyes to take a look at that. So, of course, the, uh, over the course of the first three years, uh, we almost exclusively did that and then a draft guide at the end of the year. Um, and then as we kind of scaled and grew, we had media partnerships and we started doing content. And once we started doing content, then we got interest from an investor that came in and they came over the top. They invested, they essentially acquired NDT and it became the draft network. And that was how draft network was born was me and and some of the, the crew that we had there originally with some fresh faces brought in and an investor over the top. That's so like I I actually went onto the NTT scouting website because that still exists. And still it's there. A, yep. It's a heck of a time capsule. Like the last yep. um the last article I think is from like June 2018. You can't click on most of the links, but it's um quite fun to have a look at the context of what you're talking about and what's there. It's a uh, it's really, really funny. So you now obviously you you were there for five years at TDN left mm -hmm. just a month ago, which was a, I think a shock to a lot of people at the time, but you've effectively transitioned the show quite similarly to locked on NFL scouting with the draft dudes with Joe and carrying on much as, as you were kind of before with, with draft dudes. How, how have you found moving into what you're doing now? Um, I think the big thing for us was as we decided to, to transition and pivot was to find a, a new angle uh, to continue to try to stay fresh and to try to continue to have different, the same conversations through a different lens. Uh, and a lot of what we did with draft dudes was uh, in the weeds, the minutiae of it all, player by player. Whereas locked on NFL, NFL scouting is more of a top down conversation where you're looking at it from the big picture more often than you are talking about the refined fundamentals of a player and how this edge defender utilizes his hands to deconstruct blocks or what is third step in his initial charge up the field for his pass rush sets up and how well he pivots off of his initial rush play. And all like you kind of transition away from that and it's more, okay, like here's why your team is making the decisions that they are. And here's what we think are the decisions that they should make based on an objective viewpoint of where your team is in everybody's individual journey to try to build the best possible roster that they can. I think from my perspective as a listener, one of the everydayers that you refer to as off the show, um, I think when I listened to the draft dudes, I heard a collection of scouts pool knowledge. Whereas now I think it's the evolution of that is you're kind of, you've gone up into the front office and you're now the general manager managing those guys and like, what are we taking from this and everything else is going on in the organization and how does that fit in? A lot of your episodes, you started in the mix of the draft and actually a lot mm -hmm. of the episodes have been about specific decisions that someone is having to make or someone's kind of declared that they wanted a trade and how does that fit into the balance of everything? So it's like you're trying to be the general manager now, I, I think. Is that kind of what you're going for? The same yeah. conversation in a different lens? Yeah, it's so it's obviously general managers have a lot more on their plate than just scouting the players, right? So all of those factors that feed into, you know, building a team, it, it's a lot more economics. It's, it's, it's a lot more uh, strategy 
Um, there's a lot more historical precedent. We're you know scouting an individual college player. You can do comparisons and have historical precedent as well. But it's it's putting all of the pieces of the puzzle together. And I think that's kind of been the thing about the journey that Joe and I have been on is it's kind of just been this gradual education of, of meeting people and and being students of the game and asking questions and and never going into a conversation, not seeking to learn something from the person that you're engaging with, whether it's uh, a podcast or a former executive or a player that you meet or someone else in media. Um, We all have different perspectives and and across the course of uh, the eight years that I've worked alongside Joe, we've had a tremendous amount of opportunities to talk to people like Jim Nagy and Ozzie Newsom and uh, Philip Rivers just this, this past year. And and the list goes on and on and on. And, um, having those conversations have kind of allowed us as we've committed ourselves to learn more about the game to kind of build our own pillars of what our beliefs are, but then understanding that all of the 32 viewpoints across the league are going to be different than our viewpoints too. And I think that's the beauty of the whole thing that we were trying to tackle. Sometimes it feels like you're zigging when everyone else is zagging because you're kind of, you're trying to keep it informative, but there's still that entertainment where, as a lot of other draft podcasts, it's more about reaction to a mock draft. How, how do you kind of keep that fundamental like, like thread of truth all the way through it without getting like sucked in? Yeah, it's it's tough. I will say one thing that I did very early on in my career was, and I kind of find everybody has this own evolution of their their self-efficacy and their confidence and their ability to to step into a field and have a voice. Um but as I've gotten more and more experience, I'm going to be honest, I don't consume a lot of other content from other places until I have fully formulated the opinion myself and had the exposure. So that's kind of been um, a, a fun part of in the midst of the transition is I'm now looking at players through uh, with, with one of my shows, a very team specific lens with a very specific scheme. And then you go, get outside that box and, and at Draft Network, we had this outstanding team of, of like six, seven scouts on the staff and you relied on each other. So I'm, I'm getting exposures to first guys now and seeing guys, I'm like, Oh, I really don't agree. I think we're way too high or way too low here. And uh, that's always my favorite part of kind of this last 10, 10 day stretch is getting myself out of the weeds. Uh, but I, I, I have found it's been much easier the last couple of years to just kind of be comfortable in my own skin Know what you know, know what you don't. Acknowledge it's okay to not know some things, but um, operate at your own pace and operate within your own bubble to allow yourself to have an authentic thought before you allow yourself to wander and get outside. Just want to acknowledge Steve Shattuck for giving us a super chat. A couple of bucks in there. I'm going to get to a question when we get to the listener questions in just a moment, Steve. So we are going to ask you a question, but we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Um, I want to just say one thing about Draft Dudes in terms of peak podcasting, which was the live episode with the dogs back to back. That was yeah. some of the best content I've ever heard from a show pretty much ever. Um, and it sounded like it was really good fun to to record. It sounded Absolutely. Great. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyone who hasn't listened to that show, go back and watch it. It's the same feed, isn't it? Podcast feed that you're operating on now, I think. That, so that's don't have to correct, go back yeah. too far. Was it Senior Bowl? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was the last two days of practice at the city. So I think Wednesday and Thursday of that week, kind of the last week in January. 
absolutely fantastic stuff. I want to go back to last year and you guys adopted hashtag our lions and it was yes. a heck of a year for us. Um, dismay first half of the year to, I mean, something that we couldn't have ever dreamed of. I don't think we've had such a run since I've been a fan. I remember going five and oh early on in a year, maybe a decade ago, but I don't think we've gone eight and two in a 10 game stretch for 20 years. Um, what did you make of the the down and up nature of our season? Um, kind of a weird team. You felt like the talent was there, right? Like early on, the, the offense was as productive as they were, but the, the defense really struggled and given up a lot of points. I think they gave it, what was it? It was averaging like 30, 30 points or so over the first six, seven games of the season. I think that that Miami game was the last one, and then you, I think you guys bounced back and beat was it Green Bay the following week and picked yeah, Rodgers yeah. off three times. And um, this is where th- this is one of the things when we talk about team building and and why locked on NFL scouting has the the angle that it does is is the appreciation of of time that it takes to accomplish something. And, and you think about Coach Campbell and Brad Holmes and everything that they've been preaching and just knowing that changing a losing culture is extremely difficult, especially when you're in a division. And I know this is good as anybody, right? You're treading water. You're trying to chase the team that you're generally perceiving to be a lock for 12 wins and has a future hall of fame quarterback and trying to close the distance in the division. And it just kind of creates this perpetual cycle of, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. So we need to make a change. And then you go back to square one all over again. And you have to strip down what was a halfway built up team before you ever really get over the hump. And for Detroit to have made the strides that they did, I think it's a great testament to the messaging of Coach Campbell, uh, the integrity of the players that that have been established, their willingness to invest in some key areas, particularly the offensive line. Uh, and I know that that's an area that has some potential turnover coming with the guard spots here, but uh, obviously the the selection of Penny Sewell has, has reaped big time benefits for Detroit early on. Ben Johnson, from a coaching perspective, I think the the players really grasping that scheme, uh, especially down the stretch, uh, Detroit really figured it out. I think turnovers wise, they they hardly turned the ball over in the second half of the year. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but. I think all of those things is it's just that's that's why when you commit to do what Detroit did, where we're going to trade Matt Stafford and we're going to make this paradigm shift of who we are as an organization, you as ownership have to trust that process and let it play out because this is what can happen if you are patient enough to fully see the vision through with the people you commit to. And just just specifically in terms of like the draft coverage around like last year, um, obviously with the number two pick and, and us taking Aiden Hutchinson. But obviously there was all of that noise around Thibodeau and then obviously Trayvon Walker. How, how looking back now, like you know, as Captain Hindsight at your coverage of like um, Hutchinson versus those guys, how do you kind of feel about whether what you kind of like your summations came out in terms of how Hutchinson played compared to those two i think aiden delivered exactly what my expectations were when you know you're you're watching michigan play that season in 2021 in college and and you kind of realize with the resume and 
the motor and the athletic profile, like, and now the production's really in line, like, wow, like th- this dude might be edge one. Right. And of course he was not, it was Trayvon Walker, but I don't know if Trent Balky would change it if he had a mulligan right now, but if I were Trent Balky, I would change it if I had a mulligan right now. So I think Aiden, the, the appeal with Aiden was I get to meet him in Los Angeles ahead of the Super Bowl last winter and before he got drafted and getting a chance to speak with him on the camera and off the camera came became very apparent like this dude is the, a consummate professional already like he gets it the way he takes care of his body his individual process his training regimen it is he, he takes it very seriously and when you are going through the interview process and getting to know these players and somebody is so organized with their thoughts of this is my process to be the best professional athlete that I can be. And you already have that structure in isolation on your own. Uh, I I think it speaks volumes of, of the work ethic that you're going to bring to being as good of a player as you can be. And I think that's why Aiden had the success that he did. And I think those other guys are going to be highly successful too, but I didn't meet Trayvon Walker and I, I didn't meet Kayvon Thibodeau, but I met Aiden Hutchinson. So I'm not the least bit surprised that he was able to have a seamless transition to the pro game. And it's amazing because that Polish nature of his was actually being used against him late in the stretch. It was like, oh, he's he's being too groomed. He's, you know, he knows exactly what to say and he's not as raw as these guys who are just like letting their feelings go. And it's like, well, maybe he just cares. Like, I've, I've just found it such a bizarre thing. Let's move on to feelings for the Lions for next year. Obviously, it was a great stretch to end. After this, Next draft, we don't know how it's going to go. Got a bit of previous from Brad Holmes, but I mean, maybe there's some regression to the mean in his drafting luck, potentially. How do you think that the Lions are going to do, given an average draft for, for 2023? Do you think they're they're worthy kind of division uh, favorites right now? I think so. Uh, I think with the momentum, you, you certainly have to respect what they were able to do to close the season. And you you definitely get the feeling in the sense that this is a team that's going to be able to add, you know, this is not a team like uh, Minnesota where they won a bunch of games and now they're in the midst of kind of transitioning and trying to make parallel moves, but get cheaper or uh, Chicago, I just think has a long way to go still in the trenches and the offensive line is, has shown some life, but the defensive line needs a lot of help and they've spent a lot in the back seven. And, and I certainly think that defense needs more help versus the, the foundation that Detroit has. And look, anytime you move, away from a quarterback and, and a guy who's got only a handful of career starts it's difficult to project that team uh, moving forward so I think Detroit right now has the most stability of any team within the division they obviously have a ton of draft capital at their disposal to work with and, and make a few impact selections and you're not going to bat a thousand and you just have to be comfortable with that but law of averages says with the draft capital that they have they're going to get a couple needle movers as new rookies put into this mix. And and with that being the case, I, I do think they deserve to be considered the favorites in the North right now. Your mock draft that you released a couple of days ago on uh, Locks on NFL uh, Scouting, you had the Lions pick Witherspoon and Skaronski at 18, which I think a lot of people will be surprised about the fact that he was still there. What what do you think, a per- if we stand pat at 6 and 18, what do you think a perfect draft would be for the Lions? realistically uh i think i think witherspoon's a great addition and i know that adding chauncey garner johnson is a guy who's capable of playing in the slot and now you have cameron sutton and emmanuel mosley you've got these names that are there 
but are any of them long-term staples? You know, Gardner Johnson on a one-year deal, Cameron Sutton, uh, I think is probably best suited to play in the nickel and playing on the outside. I think you've got some flexibility there to add a, a staple piece. And I just think going back to why it was important for ownership to have patience with Dan Campbell and what can happen when you really let a process seep in and you preach about culture and the kinds of players you want. It's eye roll inducing at times because it's intangibles and you can't see it and, and have a definitive uh, piece of evidence for it. I think the way Witherspoon plays the game is exactly everything that from what we heard on hard knocks, this team wants. And because of that, I think that's an ideal pick at a premium position that they do have a need at. And then at 18, it could go best. so many ways. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just, just pick a good player, right? Like I'd love to see him draft Mozzie Smith personally. Like I like Ali McNeil, but um, Mozzie Smith, I has, think has a chance to be a really special player. And again, the same thing, physical tone setters up front, continuing to get better in the trenches. They've invested so much in the offensive line. The defensive line's kind of coming around, uh, but an anchor like Mozzie Smith as somebody who I think would be a three down player. Um, I just think he also fits the MO. And of course it's another Michigan guy on the defensive line. And that feels like low hanging fruit, but that would be, if, if I were Brad Holmes, that would be what I would be aspiring for with those picks. And if somebody that's, that's ranked significantly higher than Mozzie Smith falls to 18, then I just let the board fall my way and, and, make that decision if I had to cross that bridge. And in terms of um, the kind of value pick, and if we just look at corner, how much do you see as the value of taking, say, Witherspoon? If Witherspoon's your CB1 and taking him at six, compared to, say, taking Deontay Banks or Joey Porter if they're there at 18? I just don't know. I think all of the guys that are being discussed non-quarterbacks other than like B. John Robinson. And I'm assuming we're not going to open up the can of worms and bring that name up here. I see Matt. I see you there. Um, <laughs> the other defensive linemen who are being discussed in the top, the lexicon of like the top 10, they all have a question for me. Um, whereas Witherspoon, I think is he's just a little bit more of a direct projection and I think Banks and Porter are very scheme-specific starters where I do think Witherspoon has a little bit more fluidity to be able to thrive in both press man, off man, and zone coverages as compared to, I think Porter and Banks are like, you got to play those dudes in somebody's face and let them get physical line of scrimmage and then flip and turn and carry them up the field. And if you don't do that with those guys, then I have some questions about how effective they're going to be. So it's it's... You could make the case, say, yeah, if Tyree Wilson's there, or if Jalen Carter's there, draft those guys and, and then come back and get a corner. And, I, and you you would have a very hard time being mad at that result, too, because they're all good players. But if I'm if I'm taking into account trying to get into the mindset of Holmes and Campbell and then coveting versatility to be able to do as many different things as possible. That was why I brought the names Witherspoon and Mozzie Smith to the table, because I think Mozzie Smith, despite the fact that he has one half of one sack in his entire college career, I think he can be a third down player in the NFL. I think he's just got to grow and develop there. But in the meantime, you're going to get a stalwart play on first and second down and he's explosive and you want to bet on the traits there. So that's kind of just me getting 
um, trying to get into their heads. But that's the most fun part about the draft is the if not X, then Y and doing those combinations all the way down the board. And it really makes your brain melt when a team has as much capital as Detroit has, because there are so many different directions that they could possibly go. We have so many questions and not very much time, so I'm going to try and quick fire these as much as possible. First, to get to our super chatter, Steve asks, where does Mr. Krabs have this year's wide receiver class rated? I know it's not perhaps the, the biggest one at the top compared to recent years, but there seems like there's a lot of names in there. Maybe yeah. Just a little bit um, further down. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba has the luxury of having like the question with his resume be the furthest removed from recency bias because he didn't have a good season this past year at Ohio State because he dealt with the hamstring most of the year. Well, then Jordan Addison didn't run as fast as we thought he was, and he came in super small. And Quinton Johnson has build-up speed, and his 10-yard split wasn't great. And you think about some of these other receivers, and it's just like, okay, well, Downs is five foot seven. Zay Flowers reportedly got down to 160 at the end of the season last year, and it's like, well, Jackson Smith and Jigba runs routes outstanding, and – just go back and everybody's already accepted. You have to go back to the 2021 tape. So I don't really like a lot of these names as first round names. Um, I do think Jackson Smith and Jigba is, is the most secure resume uh, or the, the most complete athletic profile, especially with the agilities that he posted with with that elite change of direction skills. So don't love this class. I think there's a lot of good value on day two though. Would that be like say A.T. Perry, Tillman, someone like that round about? like 45, 50. Yeah, I, I think Tillman would be a great player to bet on. I, I would bet on Tillman before I bet on Hyatt as well. I just think Hyatt's a little little too one-dimensional right now to feel good about that year one, year two projection. So if you're a team that's trying to win games now, uh, I think Tillman could move the needle for you now more. And, and I would absolutely be betting on those players in that window as compared to taking a player, say, at 18 or in the 20s in the first round, unless it was Jackson Smith and Jigba. I'm going to combine two questions here, one from James Harrison, one from Adostil. James says, do we pick at six or trade? And Adostil says, is there any historical data on the merits between trading up or trading down or staying where you are? Are trade value charts used anymore or are they just a way for fans to justify things? So are we moving? And do you, I, I don't think there is any data to support whether one is better than the other, but do you believe that one is better than the other or do you like letting the draft fall to you? I think it depends on where you're at. And when you're a team like Detroit who has this surplus of picks, if you've got a guy that you absolutely love and you know is tailor-made or you feel like has, you have a super high confidence for, go get him, right? Like, don't don't be afraid to go make a splash. And, and you know, dr extra draft picks on day three, you can snap your fingers and come up with relatively easy as long as you're not super handcuffed with draft capital. So uh, I, I would say predictively, I... I I wouldn't move down from six in this class because that feels like you're still within the fringe to get a blue chip player. And I know that everybody's boards are kind of frail right now as far as how many players they, they really, really love from team to team. Uh, draft value charts, everybody kind of used it. There's no universal one, but teams still, still, still do absolutely use them to try to uh, – have historical context and justify. I know there, there was one that Rich Hill put out and then there was, I think Harvard did one recently. And then the Jimmy Johnson one's the historical one. And everybody kind of has their own model that they use. Um, 
And that's why I think you see some discrepancy from team to team on what the compensation is for, for similar moves. But it, it, there is still absolutely value for teams to have some kind of measured quantification of what draft picks are worth. So would maybe trading down at 18 be better? I think that that's an area where if the board doesn't fall the right way, you can probably drop 10 spots, get extra draft capital. I would aspire to get more extra draft capital for 2024. I don't know how much more with, with the picks you already have on day two. I'd be trying to load up in more players in this year's class just because I don't think it's a great class. Um and probably get a player that's more reflective of the value unless you are going to take a player at a non-premium position, which would be kind of like the, I still think you can get good players, but they might be tight ends or guards or running backs at 18. And like that, that would be the kinds of positions that you'd be expecting to get the best value at. Bill asks, this feels like the most winnable and losable draft that I can recall. No consensus. Number one, keep quarterback, which I, don't agree with, but I'm reading it as read. No consensus number one wide receiver. No consensus number one tackle. Is this the draft and the week that defines Brad Holmes' tenure as general manager? I think this this can be the week that defines the rebuild if you hit it out of the park. Uh, the, the, the challenge is don't come up empty-handed, don't panic, and don't get cute. So whatever your objectives are, whatever you're hoping to do, whether that's just draft the best player available definitively, if we know we have three, these three spots that we want to address, if that means a, a run starts on a position early and you have to get aggressive and go up and get a guy to make sure that you're achieving that objective for your team, just go do that. But uh, I think that what will be a victory for Brad Holmes and the Lions here is getting players that allow this team to build on the momentum that it had last year, have a winning season in 2023, make the postseason, win a darn playoff game. And that would be what you would point to and say, this is why we did it. This is why we transitioned and traded Matt Stafford was to have a young nucleus and foundation. It very much fashions the, the team that's sitting behind me that did all that stuff in 2019 and got rid of Ryan Tannehill, who's not Matt Stafford by any means, but they loaded up on all these draft picks and they loaded up on cap space to have a young nucleus to then kind of transition how they went about collecting players to really try to have a strong nucleus and have a definitive three to five year window where they're going to be able to compete. And for Detroit, this draft class for Brad Holmes is all about taking the next step. So whatever you have to do to get however many players you feel is necessary, that you can look at the finished product and say, we're ready to be really aggressive the next couple of years and let's try and go win some games. Steve, pick your favorite question remaining. Uh, let's have a look what we've got left. Um, uh, so James Harrison uh, uh, says the Lions run defense needs to improve. Obviously, we really struggled with that last last year. You you mentioned Massey Smith. Um, any other draft prospects on that wish list for yourself? We've not really talked about linebacker. Um, we're not other than Massey Smith. We've not talked about the trenches. So is that? Anyone you got your eye on? Uh, if you want to go with a non-premium position, uh, I think Jack Campbell's an absolute stud. Uh, I, I think he's a three-down linebacker, very physical. Uh, I think he should definitively be the first linebacker off the board. I, I don't think it really matters what kind of system that you play. He's super instinctive. 
Uh, he's 250 pounds. He's a plus-plus athlete with plus-plus production. So if you want to help your run defense, especially with a guy like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson now in the, the secondary with the versatility that he has to kind of move around your defense, uh, I think Campbell, is, as complimenting Malcolm Rodriguez, would, would be a really nice addition for Detroit. And then if you were going to stay on the defensive line, uh, Keanu Benton would be the other name that I would mention from Wisconsin as somebody who is probably going to make a living in the B gap at the NFL level, but he can get down in the A gap and he can play shaded alignments on the center and it's 310 pounds. And I think he's, he's already a better pass rusher than Mozzie Smith. I just don't think he anchors as consistently as the early downs as Mozzie Smith does. So that's a little bit more of an upside play. If you wanted to go a different direction there. All right. Final question from those there. Cause we're pushing for time. Um, we go for, Drew Forsyth, and apologies to anyone who's asked a question who we haven't got to. Me and Steve will stay on for a little bit and, and answer them in just a second. Drew asks, how do you sort through all the noise from this time in the season to arrive at solid opinions as to what will take place in the draft? It's impossible, right? Because everything that's out there right now is out there for a reason. Um, well, that's one of the things that we've, we've kind of learned the hard way over the last few years of doing draft coverage is, you know, as you create relationships, people are going to give you their version of reality, but the reality of any decision that any team is going to make is it's going to come down to one or two people and the one or two people in all of those rooms who make that decision might not be the ones who are talking. So somebody for a team might say, yeah, we really like so-and-so and hoping to draft him at pick number six for Detroit. Right. But then at the end of the day, if the person that said that wasn't Brad Holmes or, or Dan Campbell, it usually doesn't matter. Right. So all the areas, you, you get a lot of scouts that are talking, you get a lot of agents that are talking with trying to put things out there for the benefit of their clients and their players. Um, so, if you're going to actually buy into smokescreen season, you got to look at the track record of the people who are sharing things with you. If you're a general consumer and decide who gets BS'd uh, and who doesn't get BS'd. And then if you are trying to consume smokescreen season as somebody in the industry, you have to kind of reflect on how frequently this person shares what motivation they would have to share um, and understand that your relationship as somebody in the media space um, gives them a motivation to maybe tell you something that, that might not actually be true. So um, it, it is all just a big game of, of chess and chicken. And it's a lot of fun. It's part of the, the, the intrigues, why we love it as much as we do, but anything the last week or so before the draft is pretty hard to buy into for me, just because that's that's when it all, all this BS reaches a fever pitch. Is your um, spidey senses tingling about any particular smokescreen <laughs> that you'd care to give us some insight in, Kyle? What, what, what do you think is an absolute load of nonsense? Um, I, I think the, what was it, the McShay, I don't know of any team that likes Anthony Richardson from the other day. Oh, that... I want him so much. I'm like, mm, I have a really hard time believing that there's nobody out here that likes Anthony. Now, Anthony Richardson might end up being QB4 when it's all said and done. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I think Stroud is a perfect fit for McDaniel. So if, if Stroud does slip a little bit, I don't think you'll see four quarterbacks in the first four or five picks. I, I would buy kind of the quarterbacks are slipping in general. 
Um, but nobody likes Anthony Richardson is the one that that I'm I'm pretty skeptical on. I'm pretty confident that he's going to be a top half of the first round guy. All right. Um, Kyle, thank you so much, so much for coming on. It's a real thrill to talk to you. Let us know what you're doing for the draft on NFL on locked on NFL scouting. Yeah. So we're going to have a live stream on Thursday and Friday night um, for the entirety of the first, second and third rounds. Joe Marino and I on YouTube at uh, locked on NFL scouting. And then on day three, we are going to be on intermittently at the end of each round for about 30 minutes to just talk about the big picture things that are happening. So we're not going to do the the marathon all three days. We've done oh that. <laughs> um, and it's fun. It is a it is a fun, fun marathon. Madness. But uh, I'm not mad about getting a couple hours to catch my breath for all the action and create some content beyond just being on a camera for for endless hours on Saturday. So. Uh, live streams on t- Thursday and Friday, uh, and then live shows throughout the day on Saturday. Fantastic. Do go and check out Kyle at Grinding the Tape on Twitter. Thank you so much for coming on, Kyle. Um, we've got our final draft thoughts on Monday, our betting show on Wednesday. How ironic. And then we're also doing our draft show to 30 different guests from around the league, covering each team individually. We're not locked on, but we're trying our best. Uh, Kyle, hopefully we'll talk to you again at some point in the future. Thank you so much. We'll, we'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. Have a great one. All right. Enjoy Thank the draft. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you. Peace.